It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. And I'm Caroline Hepker. Very good afternoon. Well, Boris Johnson has been hit by nothing less than a barrage of criticism over his handling of the pandemic and from his former right-hand man. Dominic Cummings, the Prime Minister's ex-chief advisor, has told MPs that the government failed in the early response to coronavirus, something that contributed to Britain suffering the worst pandemic death toll in Europe. He said that Johnson did not take the pandemic seriously but saw it as a scare story and that Britain had no plan for how to lock down. Well, Cummings is giving evidence to a parliamentary hearing about the government's missteps, and he added he believes the health secretary, Matt Hancock, should have been fired over his handling of the pandemic. But he also accepted for himself some share of the blame. The truth is that senior ministers, senior officials, senior advisers like me fell disastrously short of the standards that the public has a right to expect of its government in a crisis like this. When the public needed us most, the government failed. And I'd like to say to all the families of those who, uh, who died unnecessarily how sorry I am for the mistakes that were made and for my own mistakes at that. So Cummings's apology there. While Downing Street insists that ministers have always focused on saving lives, the Transport Secretary Grant Shapps has been dismissing Cummings's appearance as, quote, a sideshow. Well, joining us now is Carla Lockhart, DUP MP for Upper Ban. Carla, thank you for being with us uh, on the programme. I mean, let me ask you, uh, what do you make? I, I, I assume you've heard some of what Dominic Cummings had to say this morning. But so far, the government's handling of the early days of the pandemic has come under a lot of criticism. Do you think it's justified? Well, uh, apologies. I have been in meetings all morning, so I haven't heard what Mr Cummings has said today. Look, I think uh, we are now... Hopefully, uh, at the end of the pandemic, there will be no doubt uh, an inquiry into the handling of the pandemic. Um, I think we need to let that take its course um, and that needs to happen as soon as possible uh, so that all information can come out in the washing in terms of the handling of it. Um, but obviously, it's been several days that Dominic Cummings has been, you know, airing some of this criticism uh, uh, and particularly against um, Boris Johnson. Obviously, um, you know, he's been highly critical. Do you think that that any of that is justified? I mean, today we got we got it in person, but we sort of knew the substance of what he has been saying that the government got it badly wrong. Well, I think ultimately, you know, there's a lot more to this 
than than just Dominic Cummings' uh, opinion on Boris's handling of the pandemic. Um, we obviously can see that there's much more at play uh, and much more, many more issues uh, in the mixing pot with regards to Dominic and the Prime Minister. Um, it's unfortunate that that is playing out very uh publicly and i think it's important that we continue to to manage the pandemic we are not uh, out the other end of it uh in its totality we need to ensure that we continue to support the government in supporting uh economically our businesses uh, obviously keeping people safe and, and saving lives and uh as i say you know it will all come out in the washing in terms of in terms of um how the, the government have handled it Carla, let me ask you about the meeting that's coming up. I'm sure you're aware, a four-nation meeting uh, organised by the Prime Minister, obviously involving the Stormont uh, executive as well, on the handling of the pandemic. Uh, many many of the nations involved, the Welsh certainly and the Scots, have said they want something perhaps more, more strong as an agenda, perhaps something concrete to come out of it. What's your feeling? Well, look, that will be for the four nations to, to contribute to it. Um, you know, I, I was on a meeting there with a number of businesses with the finance minister in Northern Ireland. There was some criticism of the, the amount of money that has been given to the devolved administrations in, term of, in terms of economic recovery. That will all uh, no doubt feed into that, that meeting. Um, and look, you know, I believe we will look back on, on this pandemic and, and very clearly say we could have done things differently. But ultimately, we were in the middle of a crisis, and I'm not certain, you know, anyone when they are looking at death figures and, you know, the the way in which the the virus was, um, uh, you know, emanating within people. Uh, you know, I'm not certain any of us would have done anything different um, in how in how we handled it. So, you know, again. Let's get the inquiry. Let's see where things could have uh, been done better, and, and no doubt we will we will all take lessons from. Okay, so that on the pandemic, um, I'd also like to ask you, Carlo, if I may, um, about the post Brexit issues. Um, you now have a new leader in Edwin Poots, uh, who is firmly opposed to the current post Brexit protocol arrangements. The European Union, though, says that there's no change; that the uh, issue around the protocol is to do with Brexit itself. What happens now? Well, obviously, yes, we ha- we have a new leader, but the, the party's position remains the same in terms of the protocol. We need the protocol to go. Um, the protocol is damaging Northern Ireland's economy and undermining the union. Uh, constitutionally, the protocol does not have the support of a single unionist party in Northern Ireland. And economically, it is disrupting trade within our biggest and most important market. It, it has to go. We have heard Lord Frost's words. We have heard the Prime Minister's words, but we need to see action. Um, we believe there are mechanisms there for the government to remove the protocol, um, but we need them to act uh, immediately. It is impacting daily businesses in Northern Ireland. Uh, it's impacting you know, uh, health care in Northern Ireland. We, we saw very publicly um, the, the, the cancer issue uh, in terms of cancer drugs. 
of our medicines from paracetamols to vaccines come from the come from GB. Yet at the end of this grace period in December, you know we will be subject to EU medicine rules. Um, so the protocol is literally putting people's lives at risk. So we want the protocol to go. That is our message, and that will be our continue to be our strong message to Lord Frost and uh, the Prime Minister. Well, Simon Hoare, who uh, I'm sure you know is uh, head of the Northern Ireland Select Committee uh, in the House of Commons, he was talking to us yesterday saying that he thinks that the DUP says perhaps a, a strong line on terms of the protocol, but there might be room for movement. And he points to the fact that Eben Poot seems to have accepted that, for example, a number of agricultural permits could be waived to, to ease things at the moment. And perhaps that indicates a softer message. No, well, ultimately, the protocol needs to go. We can't continue with grace periods. We can't continue with just, um, you know, uh, saying, oh, uh, there's a fix for, for six months, uh, because that stability, businesses need stability. They need uh, to be able to plan for the future. And if things are changing on uh, on a six-monthly basis, it is not good for businesses in Northern Ireland. Um, so, therefore, we need the government to act um, we need the government to remove the protocol and to uh, negotiate again with the EU in relation to you know, a, a sensible way forward because ultimately this is bad for Northern Ireland constitutionally and economically. OK. Um, as you're aware, also happening today, there's a major case in front of the Supreme Court over the delay in commissioning abortion services how important is this issue for the DUP now? Well, anyone that uh, knows and follows my um, my work as a parliamentarian, it is an issue that obviously I have taken a very keen interest in. Uh, the DUP party remains uh, pro-life and uh, we adopt pro-life policies. Uh, we want to see a society where they choose life as opposed to uh, abortion uh, and destroying life. And I know under Edwin's leadership, he will continue in that vein. And we will try in Northern Ireland to restore life-affirming laws and indeed right across the United Kingdom. Uh, very interesting what's happening in the United States. Um, if the Supreme Court uh, rule on this um, in terms of the, the, the pro-life lobby, it but, will have a significant impact on abortion services but, right across the United States. But Carla, Carla, this issue and others, uh, for example, Eben Poots is, is a creationist, young earth creationist. Uh, he's firmly opposed to same-sex marriage. Isn't there a problem in this that the DUP is moving a long way away from any younger, perhaps more liberally minded uh, voters in Northern Ireland? You, you run the risk of making yourselves irrelevant. Well, I'm 35. <laughs> I don't call myself old. Um, maybe some would, but, um, you know, I'm pro-life. There are lots of pro-life uh, people right across Northern Ireland. In fact, you know, if you look mm. at uh, the consultation when the UK government forced the abortion laws upon us, the vast majority of people in Northern Ireland were pro-life and did not want um, those abortion laws forced upon us in Northern Ireland. So, you know, I, I don't feel as a party we are out of step in relation to the vast majority of people in Northern Ireland. Um, and, and also, you know, I respect anyone. I respect anyone's views and, and I will certainly listen to anyone's views. Um, and, and, and often, you know, the DUP is, is painted in a very uh, bad light. Um, you know, I've been a member of it for 20 odd years. 
Um, and and we are, you know, we are a progressive party. We want to yeah. uh, ensure that Northern Ireland remains part of the union, um, and that's uh, that's our primary focus as a party. All right, Carla, thank you so much for being with us. Carla's Lockhart there, DUP MP for Upper Ban. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. And now to the main story this morning. Dominic Cummings has unleashed a torrent of criticism against the Prime Minister, Cabinet Ministers and government officials over their handling of the pandemic in Britain. When the public needed us most, he told MPs the government failed. Cummings, a controversial figure himself, did though accept some share of the blame. I'd like to stress and apologise for the fact that it is true that I did this, but I did not follow up on this and push it the way that I should have the way that I should have done. Now the Transport Secretary Grant Shapps has dismissed Cummings' appearance and questioned his reliability as a witness. So how damaging is the testimony? Joining us now is Bloomberg Opinion columnist Therese Raphael. Therese, thanks for being with us. Cummings hit the government and hit them really, it seems, as hard as he possibly could. What's the damage in terms of an early assessment on this? I think it's too early to say what the long-term damage is, but it's very clear that it's almost like the difference between reading a synopsis of a film and going to watch it. It's one thing to know that Cummings is going to come at the government over uh, its early strategy, over its failure to publish its assumptions. It's quite another thing to watch him give a blow-by-blow of what it was like in in the cabinet meetings, having to discussions and what the, you know, the, the, the lack of preparedness, the um, early talk of, you know, chicken pox parties and all of that sort of thing. I think that does, you know, give people a sense of, you know, what he's trying to convey, which was that preparation was completely inadequate, but also that the government was very slow to overturn some initial assumptions. For example, that the international experiences of China and Taiwan um, would, you know, were irrelevant to the UK because the UK would never handle um, that, that kind of lockdown. People wouldn't wear it. Worries about the economy all of that. So, you know, there is a real difference um, between, you know, a tweeted, uh, you know, Twitter and Mm -hmm. an actual testimony. And I think that's what we're seeing play out today. It's still, we're still in the first, um, you know, couple hours of the testimony as we speak. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say quite what the impact will be, not least, I guess, Therese, because uh, actually a lot of what he said before, what's come out before, clearly hasn't damaged the Prime Minister. I mean, is there a sense that this is a Westminster Village exercise rather than something that plays wider? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess the question is, you know, over what time period are we talking about? There isn't an election coming up. This prime minister is a very, you know, solid uh, majority in parliament. The opposition is still a fairly weak opposition. I don't think anyone would say there's an immediate threat um, to Boris Johnson. But, you know, there are things that um, can damage a leadership over time that can then can sort of eat away like a cancer at it. And you wonder whether this will be one of them again over time. I think right now the public wants to be out of lockdown. The vaccine process, as we said on many occasions, almost, you know, whitewashes all of these other mistakes mm. because people are so, um, you know, so relieved about it. But there will be a time um, when they will look back and say, what were the decisions that were made? What is forgivable mm. in the fog of war, given the, you know, unprecedented nature of this crisis? And what, you know, kind of blame really ought to be laid at the foot of government, what lessons can be learned. So, you know, the public may be feeling quite sort of, you know, tired of, of, of the whole debate right now. But I think having this out there, having the clips that can be replayed and some of the individual criticisms that yeah. you just said that the Secretary of, uh, of Health, Matt Hancock, um, you know, should have been fired on 15 or 20 occasions for lying yeah. to the public and in meetings. So those kinds of things are, I think, will, will keep popping up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and we all understand that that kind of desperation that people have of being out of the restrictions and the happiness. And yet there is also, one knows, a well of anger over the thousands of deaths. You must remember that's what this is about, the thousands of people who lost their lives in this pandemic. So, yes, he's you know, one wonders whether he's um, this is going to affect the prime minister, but also Cummings is trying to sort of pick off individual ministers. As you say, the health secretary, Matt Hancock, should have been fired over the pandemic handling, Cummings is saying. Also, you know, working into this, though, is what does the public uh, and what do official think think of Cummings himself? What kind of a figure is he? How credible is he? That's been largely the line of attack that the Johnson government has taken. Yeah, that's an interesting one. The YouGov poll that was out Tuesday night found that only 38% of people trust Johnson, but only 14% trusted Cummings to tell the truth, with 75% saying that he didn't. So we're, you know, there's a, there's a, a long memory of his trip to Barnard Castle and, um, and that whole saga. And, you know, generally he's, he's not, you know, regarded as, um, you know, it's a figure that people are going to really vest a lot of confidence in. You know, however, I think that those, those sorts of views can change. And he has, Cummings is not uh, up for election himself. He's not mm. vying for office. He's out of government and most likely, you know, not coming back. So people may start to think, well, you know, how much of this is, uh, you know, is, is a uh, revenge sort of uh, tactic and how much is Cummings really kind of putting on the table what took place, particularly in those early weeks of March when the plan was, you know, effectively to allow the virus to, to spread, to try to suppress it. And, you know, all of the data that they were looking at turned out to be, um, you know, turned out to be mistaken. And what he says in his testimony is that the plan we put in place on the 14th of March, we could have put out six weeks earlier. So whether people, uh, you know, whether or not people believe him generally when he goes after the government or particular members of the government, that might just stick. 
I mean, everyone loves a grudge match, obviously, and uh, revenge, uh, you know, the dish best served cold, and it's certainly very cold uh, the way he's giving it at the moment. What what I wonder, though, Therese, is whether, you know, apart from the headlines and all the rest of it, are there useful things that we're learning along the way? Are we actually managing, perhaps, to project forward to a point where we could deal with potentially better uh, another pandemic if one came along? Hopefully the answer to that is yes. I mean, I think just even listening to the first hour and a half of his testimony, there are clear lessons that come through about, um, you know, he, he's a big, he likes to talk a lot about the dangers of groupthink, and he fully admits that he was sort of sucked into it in this case. One of the big lessons is that a lack of scrutiny um, in, in SAGE among the scientific advisors, their failure to publish their assumptions early enough, their data so that they could be scrutinized, was, um, was catastrophic because it became quickly clear by the middle of March that all of those assumptions uh, were entirely wrong. So there just wasn't enough interrogation um, mm. in the system. And I think that lesson is, you know, is clear. The government did correct that. It became more transparent. It, you know, it, it's amazing to think now that we didn't even know who was on SAGE in the beginning. No, indeed. Um, uh, and also, I mean, amongst some of the other lines, you're talking about um, it being crackers that Boris Johnson became <laughs> prime minister. Um, uh, but he also does mention this, which I think is another tricky issue, that Johnson, the prime minister, thought that the real danger was to the economy. Um, and and one can understand that that was an incredibly difficult um, issue at the time. Yeah, so that that was one of the in, more interesting, I think, revelations um, about how people were thinking at the time. And you can almost understand, you can, yeah, I, I think it's quite understandable that the economy would have been a huge concern, particularly given the assumptions about how the virus would spread. And the graphs that they were looking at um, were particularly uh, convincing that there would be a, a stronger second peak if they tried to suppress too much early. And so if, if you accepted that assumption, then there became this, you know, the, the, the economy um, fallout, the economic yeah. fallout from trying to act to move earlier would be, you know, quite draconian. So yeah. that that's an, also interesting, and it speaks to the importance of having the data right, interrogating right. the data, having the right people in the room. And, um, you right. know, I thought one of the things that helps Cummings here is his repeated um, apologies for not ah, yes. questioning things earlier. We, we've so. heard a lot of apologies, and I think we're probably <laughs> going to hear a lot more from him. Uh, thanks very much indeed for that. Therese Raphael there, Bloomberg Opinion columnist. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.